You're listening to the Creepy Kingdom Podcast Network, covering and creating all things creepy. Visit creepykingdom.com to get access to all of our articles, videos, and podcasts. Join our Patreon for exclusive content. Patreon.com slash creepykingdom. Hey there, creeps. It's James, the host of the Steak Haunted podcast, which you're about to listen to a very special episode of. If you listen to our uh, previous seasons of Stay Haunted, uh, we would give full reviews of uh, various haunts around the Los Angeles and Orlando area, but we're doing things a little bit differently this year. This year, we are going to take the immediate response and reactions all to our social media. So if you're not already following us on our social media, that's our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. It's all at Creepy Kingdom. You know, the at symbol, at Creepy Kingdom. (laughs) And uh, eventually we'll do a little compilation of all this stuff and um, maybe a little best of and some more of that content. We'll make it into audio podcast form. But for the most part, that's where it's going to be. But we do have a special episode right now. I had the opportunity to go on a tour of two of the houses at Halloween Horror Nights Hollywood. A full behind-the-scenes tour with the leader of Horror Nights Hollywood, John Murdy, explaining everything we're looking at and giving some great stories and insights and letting us know of things that we just frankly would never hear anywhere else. While we were not allowed to record video, we were allowed to take photographs, which a few of those photographs have showed up on our social media thus far. You might have seen those. And we'll actually have more photographs in the show notes for this episode, but we're gonna share the audio from the complete tour. Very cool stuff. We checked out the horrors of Blumhouse, Freaky the Black Phone, and this year's Universal Monsters House. So enough of me blabbing. Let's get to haunting. Welcome. This is the Horrors of Blumhouse. This is the third time that we've done a compilation Blumhouse experience at Halloween Horror Nights. Um, we've actually, working with Blumhouse goes back to uh, 2013 with Insidious. We've had a long relationship working with them. Um, in the past, there's a couple things different about these Horrors of Blumhouse mashups that we did the previous two times. One, uh, they were in a different location and we always used the movie theater facade to set it up as if you were going to a a Blumhouse Horror Film Festival. Um, Two, we always use three properties. The reason that we changed things this year are twofold. One, um, when I saw Freaky, I thought I could have done the whole house on Freaky, actually. Actually, the first time I sat down to design this, I got to the end of what my conceptual design was, and I was like, darn, I just used up the entire house. (laughs) Um, And it was always understood we were going to do Freaky and Black Foam. So um, there was just so much content to mine, we didn't feel like we needed uh, three films, we felt like it would be better to expand on the two we had. 
Um, the second is like we're in the Waterworld queue, and there's this big, huge overhead shade structure that is not so easy to take down. In fact, it's incredibly <laughs> difficult to take down, and so we're limited on the height we can go in this location. So that necessitated a different concept for the facade. Uh, my art director, production designer, Chris uh, Williams, he, he has a joke. He goes, oh, we should just do a video store because we do the movie theater. And I went, I think that might be brilliant. <laughs> and the reason is, um, Pop-up video stores have become kind of a thing. You know, there's Slashback Video, which is, you guys know here in LA, um, which Ryan from Blumhouse has been real involved with, which I just thought was a super cool idea. Um, you know, and then a lot of shows will do that as, a, as an advertisement. Uh, Netflix did it with Fear Street Trilogy, where they just suddenly opened up this pop-up video store. So we thought that would be interesting. So what we're doing is, scenically, and there's still some things we're finishing, and I'll explain what that is. This is a, a, a strip mall that's been abandoned and condemned. So what we're missing right now is graffiti and trash, uh, but also signage telling you that this property's been condemned and all the typical signage you'd see from the building department before the wrecking ball comes in here and tears it down. But in the middle of all this, one night, this video store appears out of nowhere. And um, there's a reason why you don't see anything on the sign. It's because it's invisible. It's invisible UV paint, because we wanted it to have this hellish otherworldly like neon sign so it actually it's all there you just can't see it because we're not firing the black light strobes but it's Blumhouse video you know and it's your horror movie HQ so it's a video store that only rents horror movies and it's only open one night and that's it and it only rents horror movies and it only rents black phone and freaky and that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's all so that's why you see hope like, they have a lot of copies yeah, actually one thing that we're doing right now is we're making a whole bunch of VHS tapes of, that were going to be freaky stacked all over here, black phone stacked all over there, that little vintage TV is going to be playing like a, a alternating between freaky 30 second TV spot and black phone and then weird interference and Blumhouse coming in between. So basically what we're creating is a portal to hell in the guise of a video store, which I thought was just like, a, I've never seen that done, I thought that would be cool. Um, so there's going to be... Um, you know, eerie red light and smoke and everything emanating out of this. Of course, it's a dark and stormy night. Um, but you've arrived at this video store. Lucky you, it's open one night, one night only. But as soon as you step through the doors, you're transported into the world of the film. And I'll show you what that means if you guys want to We always do a title card with these Blumhouse houses to set up. You know, quite intentionally just tell the guest, you're entering Freaky. So you're hearing dialogue um, from the Spanish teacher in Freaky talking about the Ladola dagger, and then that's a special effect. The dagger, the red eye, starts to glow with supernatural light. Um, and we're using this first stretch to kind of do plot exposition. He's explaining what the dagger is, the fact that this dagger has this Aztec curse on it, um, that if you try to sacrifice someone and it's not successful, those two, two people are forced to switch bodies for a certain period of time. All the stuff that the film addresses. The other thing I thought was really fun with Freaky um, is the title cards they do, you know, Thursday the 11th, Oops. Friday the 12th, or sorry, Thursday the 11th, Wednesday the 11th, Thursday the 12th, Friday the 13th. So we use those as well as you go through it. So you see this, you go past the title card, and then you enter the house from the opening of the fall. So the opening of Freaky plays like Friday the 13th. You know, it just plays like a hardcore horror film. Um, when you come in, you find that same display case. It's been broken open and the dagger's missing because the 
Blissfield Butcher has taken it. And then one of the masks on the wall are missing as well. And then this front end, like I said, it plays like a you know a slasher movie. So this is butcher, 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 butcher. You know, every time you turn a corner, the butcher's getting you. It starts with right behind where Norm is standing. There's a hidden door, and that whole panel opens up, and the butcher comes out. And then you see at the end of this hallway, there's the girl who gets impaled with the ceremonial spear. <laughs> and then there's lightning and thunder coming through the windows, and then the Blissfield Butcher bops out of that. Uh, second window there and attacks you again. And I'll get ahead of you guys real quick. So there's that horrible scene where the butcher takes a wine bottle and shoves it down the throat of that poor kid and all the shards come out of his neck. So it's uh, awful enough in the movie Freaky, we wanted to make it a little bit more awful. So um, he's an animated figure and that's kind of a, in general this year, uh, really trying to step up our special effects. You know, we're doing a lot more with special effects which are all practical effects because of the world we live in. Um, but this is an animated figure who's twitching and you hear him gagging and then there's a, a beam sensor right there. You can see the two pieces of it, one in the door and one on the wall. And when you trip that, um, it causes him to puke all over you. <laughs> <laughs> and you get shattered with, you know, you get showered with, and the last thing, I should say, the last thing we always do in Horror Nights is blood. So you probably won't see a lot of blood in this house, but you will when you come. Um, because it's, A, it's messy. It's custom stuff that we make. We have our own, like, little recipe for whether it's scenic blood or whether it's blood that goes on performers or whether it's blood that goes on fabric. We have, over the years, we've, like, perfected this whole process. So our props crew come in and do blood last. That's the last thing we want to do. Because um, it makes a horrific mess. And it looks really weird. It's particularly, the scenic blood, when it goes on, looks like bubble gum. It's bright pink. And when it dries, it looks wet. It looks like real blood. Um, so you get puked on by this guy, and then you get to the poor girl who's had her head smashed by the toilet. Uh, I've had those. <laughs> and then if I was the butcher, comes right around the corner. Um, see, by peeking in there, you can see all the tools we give our performers, our scare actors, for how we let them control not only the timing of their scare, they have monitors, all of them have monitors where they can see the guests coming, they can time their scares appropriately, they can hit their audio lighting trigger, which activates their own point source audio cue, their own lighting cue, and it's all tools we give them to amplify their scare. And then, once we get to this point, we leave the house, we get to another title card for the next day. Hey, can we back up to the hallway? I realize yeah. we haven't put those graphics on, and I can open a little secret hatch and show you something. Oh. <laughs> I'll show you something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you guys want to come around this way. Um, I wanted to do that. One of the tough things to do with Freaky, because a, a haunted house is not a movie or a television show, you can't stop and do a whole bunch of dialogue and plot exposition. You have to communicate things visually wanted to communicate the whole idea of the sacrifice where the butcher tries to kill Millie on the football stadium and the Aztec aspect of that. And also wanted to communicate the switching bodies thing, which is really kind of tough to do in a haunted house. So um, in this room, oh, they locked it. <laughs> okay. In this room that I'm not going to show you, there's a whole Aztec set, right? There's the big sacrificial altar. And as we go around, the, the plexi walls are all bus graphics with perforated, you know, little perforations in them in the print. And it's printed to match the concrete block walls that are on the outside of the football stadium. 
So as you're walking around that turn, you're hearing Millie going, please don't let it be the butcher, please don't let it be the butcher, please don't let it be the butcher. And then we bleed through all the walls. So that's our disappearing room effect that we created years ago for like Freddy versus Jason and other haunted houses. Um, so all the walls disappear and suddenly we're looking in on this weird Aztec scene where you see the butcher take the Lodola dagger, drive it into Millie in that horrible mascot costume with the beaver head. And, and um, immediately when he hits her, go, oh, you know, so that we know something has transpired here. And then we can go around and show you the next step. And then the body switching thing, like how do you do that, you know? Um, there's a scene in Freaky, and it's in Millie's nightmare. After she gets attacked by the uh, Blissfield Butcher, she comes home, she takes a bath, she goes to bed. And she has this horrible nightmare. And there's one little shot, and it's very fast in the movie, where she's having this nightmare and all the things that um, she experienced during the day. And just for a second, you see her bed with all the you know flowery string lights in the butcher's lair. And it's really short. So I went, oh, that's cool. That's how we're going to do this. So we're going to start by entering a portion of Lily's, uh, sorry, uh, Millie's house. But there's one object in it that doesn't belong. Teenage girls, and then behind you is a scent cannon. So we wanted to also do this with smells. So, so this, I, my direction to my special effects guy is, let's go like Bed Bath and Beyond or Claire's Boutique. Like a 16-year-old. Yeah, there's a 16-year-old girls. Or hey, that's what you're doing. Oh, you know, Still be wearing. So we just threw this. So uh, this also has really trippy. Uh, spinning gobo lighting up there. So it's all got this weird dream feel to it. So all the walls are swirly. And then there's just this in the middle of it. What is that on there? And then you turn the corner and you're in the butcher's lair, but now Millie's bed's in it. So this scene is staged totally just to communicate the body switching thing and nobody's gonna really try to scare you. So Millie's gonna be asleep in bed in the throes of that nightmare, freaking out, you know, going back and forth. This is a wardrobe from the butcher's lair that we're having custom built right now with a big 50-50 mirror here. So all of a sudden, Millie's alarm goes off. She sits up in bed, wakes up, but now she's the butcher. And this mirror, we bleed through it and we see, here's you know the Blissfield butcher. And then he comes into the room to scare you, but then he immediately freaks out because he realizes he's Millie. And he does a what, you know? <laughs> and they look at each other and they both scream. He hides back in here, she goes back to sleep, sets back and repeat. Um, so it's just a little comic scene. That's cute. It'll be fun. Yeah. Because freaking had so many comedic elements. <laughs> it does. And you got to try to figure yeah, out how to pay that off. And we cool. do it a couple of different ways. I appreciate it. And then when you turn the corner, there's the last title card where now it's Friday the 13th. Um, so now we're in, we're in um, high school. Uh, Millie is now the butcher. And she's dressed in that red leather jacket look that she has in the film. So as you're coming in, you're hearing the principal announce that, you know, Homecoming dance has been canceled because of the Blissfield Butcher and his killing rampage that he's on. Millie's the scare here. She comes from around the corner with a butcher knife. And then again, wanted to get a little bit of the comedy in there. So all our performers have to do their scare and then they have to do their reset. So on a reset, I have her doing this and scaring you and then going, I can't wait to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so here we have our butcher character in you know Millie's body. I'm oh, sorry, butcher's body, Millie in the inside. And he's standing here and he's yelling, I want my body back. And then the butcher in Millie's body comes through with the chainsaw and says, come and get it. And then you leave this area, you get hit again by Millie with the chainsaw. Yeah. Because this isn't really a scare. This is just, again, doing the, the final confrontation. You leave, you get attacked by Millie with your chainsaw. 
and then we start transitioning to black phone. So, wow. isn't this what you wanted to do in high this school? This is good stuff. I wanted to do this in high school. <laughs> this is good. Right, freshman year of high school, I went to Bishop Vermont in uh, La Puente, and uh, for whatever reason, I told my mom I wanted white shoes. Like freshman year, this is like 1980. Oh, jeez. I graduated in '85, so it would have been '80 what one or two or something. Uh, but I told my mom I want white shoes, and I freshman went to high school in like white golf shoes, like because it's the only thing my mom could find, you know. And uh, the first day of uh, you know gym, where you have to shower for the first time, that horrible experience you all everybody goes through. Um, the football team took my white shoes and threw them in the shower no. and just soaked them. In the showers in high school were not pretty. You know, they were just I don't know how often they cleaned those, but it wasn't often. There was green, like, you know, algae growing. And so I had to put these horrible, you know, I was late for class because of this. And all down the hallway, all you heard was <laughs> and walk in and just be humiliated. That's like first day of high school. So like a horde, I should always see me like wearing, these days I like wear white creepers and stuff. And I'm like, that's because those bastards get me. Yeah. And this is what happens. This is what we all would have wanted to do. So I know who you're imagining for these guys. Um, so now we're going to transition and take you into black phone. That was right down the road. Yeah, there's an unintentional Easter egg in here that I did not, I did not okay, but my prop people played an evil trick on me. They, they sent me an email and they're like, hey, do you have any pictures of yourself like when you're 10 or 12 years old? And I'm like, I only have a few here in LA, so that that altar boy picture is me. <laughs> I guess I got abduct, abducted by the grabber, and the, all the pictures are props, people, and stuff. There's and another I, one too. I know. They didn't even tell me they were going to do that. And in Killer Clowns, they've abducted my entire family, my kids. They're all on missing children, you know, missing posters, and I'm like, hey, that's my kids. <laughs> I just showed them that through the day. Like, hey, look at this. They were not amused. Um, so we always do the setup again. This is like the title card setup. What's missing here is a big uh, graphic for black phone that's printed on four-way stretch material with a hidden slit. So as you come in, you think, well, I saw the freaky one. Nothing really happened other than the eye glowed. And then you say, oh, okay, we're going into black phone. I hear the phone ringing. I hear the dialogue and the music. And then the grabber comes busting out of the poster and tries to get you. With the grabber, what we mainly wanted to do um, was because his mask changes in the film and with his mood, um, we really wanted to do that, so we changed, every time you see him, he's got a different mask on. So we kind of go in reverse order in Black Phone. In the movie, Finney escapes from the basement and he goes up through the kitchen into the living room and out of the house. We wanted to do it in reverse and take you so that we end in the basement. Um, so this is the, the grabber's living room. This is where his brother is trying to solve the case that's like literally right underneath his nose, is even down in the basement. Um, on any any film I go through anywhere from 20 to 40,000 pictures um, that would have been like this I would have been looking specifically for like this kind of stuff so I pull all that pictures like his reference I give them to my props team and they recreate it all um, here you're hearing his dog Samson bark 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 and the brother yelling because the police have just arrived they're outside um, and that dog's a little foreshadowing for something you're going to get later and then um, the grabber comes around the corner with a knife, like from here, and drives you into the kitchen. 
One of the scenes I thought was really creepy in Black Phone was when he's, you know what I mean? When he's, that was very eerie. There's a really yeah. eerie scene where the kid tells him, don't don't try to escape because he's on the other side of the door and he's just waiting for you. But he's shirtless and he's got a belt in his hand and he's asleep. Yeah. So we, when we cast this, we went to our actors and we're like, how do you feel about going shirtless? You cool with that? And we've done that before. It's not the first time, but we're like, are you guys cool with that? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And we're like, all right, cool. So he's passed out, you know, with the belt, and he's just <laughs> and snoring away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for accuracy. Yeah, just for accuracy. For accuracy. What's for accuracy? I missed the joke. Oh, he's doing your shirt. pose, like giving us the oh, yeah. yeah. well, I got to block them all. That's yeah. what I'm doing at yeah. night is draining them all. So no, I love it. Got to figure out the physicality of it. So he has a, a trigger which we'll place once. We always wait till we finish rehearsals, and then we put him where we can conceal him and where the actors want him. And then when he hits it, he wakes up, you know, and then comes with his belt. And that drives you into the basement. Um, obviously, you go downstairs in the movie, you get to the basement. You can't do that in a haunted house. Not a real good idea to send people up and downstairs. Um, but we wanted to create that hallway. Um, so Chris, and this is kind of a different thing for Chris. He's done this a little bit in the past with his sets. But he really, he kind of got into floors this year. You know, it's a lot more floor surfaces. Definitely, like, when we go down to Monsters, you'll see that. You'll see it in a lot of different places um and this had a very you know distinct checkered pattern as you're going down this hallway um samson the dog attacks you and that's going to be like american oil from london it's a puppet he's not on set so he's he's being he's like i think one of the last things my makeup artist is is finishing right now Um, but he's a puppeted effect and he can open and close his jaws and people are just a big dog in your face trying to bite you is usually something that will scare you and now we're in the basement. Wow! So you got the dead brother. You got hit in the axe, an axe to the head from the older brother. And then uh, Timmy's on the bed. The phone's ringing. Uh, grabber's gonna come from behind you there with the axe. And Finney says, you know, the phone rings and he says, "It's for you." And then um, this would be like the final scene in the maze or house. Um, and with Horror Nights, you know, we, we sometimes do a final scare, and sometimes we do the final, final scare. In this house, we do the final scare, which we're in right now, then we do the final, final scare, then we do the final, final, final scare, then we do the final, 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 final scare. <laughs> so basically what that means is uh, after you leave the scene, you hear the, the grabber screaming, you know, you're going to have to go through me to get out of here, which he does in the film. And, that, and you're going to have to go through him to get out of here. So every time you see him, he's got that axe, and he's coming at you, and every time you see him, his face changes, his mask changes. So you, we use all the expressions in the film. Um, and it's just one hit right after the other, and then we come through that to the other side. <laughs> yeah, no, good, 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 good idea. This is the fourth um, in a string of uh, houses we've done to kind of reinvent the Universal Monster brand for Halloween Horror Nights. And it goes back to um, the house we did in 2018, Universal Monsters, then in 2019, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Then last year we did The Bride of Frankenstein Lives. And now we're doing uh, Legends Collide. Um, similar to Bride of Frankenstein Lives, this is an original story that we created um, that brings together three monster characters that in all of the Universal Monsters classic horror films from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s never actually shared screen time together. 
and that's uh, the mummy, the wolfman, and Dracula. It's kind of amazing that that never happened because by the time they got to like in the 40s when they got to like House of Dracula or House of Frankenstein, they just threw the kitchen sink at it. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, here's Dracula and here's the mummy or the wolfman and here's, you know, Hunchback and here's, you know, and they were trying to put them all into one movie, um, but they never had the mummy in any of those movies, which is really strange. And it's probably because of budget because, you know, the monster movies, by the time you get to like the 40s, they're low, low budget horror movies. That's what they were making. You know, they, these weren't like huge dollar movies. So the mummy, the makeup involved with that was so intense and took so much time. That's probably why he, he wasn't included. That's my theory. At least. I'm probably right. <laughs> probably right. reason. They were throwing every other character at him. Um, so we co-developed this with our um, sister park in Orlando and the creative team over there, uh, specifically Charles Gray, who's their creative director on this particular house, Michael Aiello, who's been associated with Horror Nights for a long, long time, kind of in a different role now. He just focuses on the front-end development with me on setting the slate and then like uh, conceptualizing things. Um, and my art director, Chris Williams, and myself. Um, so kind of coming out of Bride last year when we started talking about what we wanted to do, which we would have been doing this in March last year while we were building Bride, um, I had a very, I had an idea and I wanted to do, you know, Dracula, the mummy and the Wolfman together in an original story and I wanted to set it in London. Um, and Orlando had a different idea. They wanted to set theirs in Egypt. And so we were like, we were going kind of back and forth and I said, well, why don't we just you do part one, we'll do part two, and we'll just make it one big thing. Oh, cool. So if you actually like took the time to go to Orlando and Hollywood, you'd see two totally different experiences that are part of a larger story. Um, probably the impetus for this in a lot of ways was in recent years, um, uh, Egyptologists have determined that the god Anubis, which is the god of death, and you guys know him, he's that with jackal-headed, you know, half-man, half-jackal, um, they realized that he actually wasn't a jackal. He's actually a wolf. So we look, I looked at that and went, wolf? Man, that's interesting. Let's figure out what we could do with that. And then when I look at the movies, London comes into play in all these films. Um, in Dracula, uh, after Renfield and Count Dracula leave Transylvania, they get on a boat and they come to London. In The Mummy, the very beginning, one of the first shots, it shows the uh, base camp for the archaeological expedition. And it's sponsored by the British Museum in London. And presumably, what the British Museum did in those days, if you've ever been in the British Museum, is wherever they want, they took everything and they put it in the museum. So they would have wanted all of these artifacts to be in their museum, in, the, in what we call the, the London Museum of Natural History in this house. Um, and then the Wolfman is from the UK. He's from Wales. That's where his family estate is. So we wanted to create a story that brought them all together. So I chose to set ours at this shipping receiving warehouse along the River Thames. This is based on a real building that I did found in research from Victorian times. Uh, London in that period, in late Victorian period, was basically Amazon. You know, it was every good in the world passed through those docks. And the docks were just lined with places like this. Um, so we have a shipping receiving warehouse which has an interesting easter egg associated with it which i'm sure you've all figured out by now alucard is dracula spelled backwards you know dracula's got money <laughs> you know he buys that whole estate lock stock and barrel at the beginning of dracula that's why renfield comes to transylvania it's a real estate transaction 
So we thought, well, sure, he owns the shipping warehouse. His uh, coffin arrives right at the exact same time, <laughs> conveniently, as uh, all of this stuff is coming back from Egypt. And that's another Easter egg. That's why you're seeing this is the symbol of Amun-Ra, or Ra, who's the god of, it's pretty much the god of gods in ancient Egypt, but he's also specifically the sun god. So his actual hieroglyph is a sun with a snake going around it. So we wanted to play with that. And then the third element is we needed some reason that they were all here and what they wanted. Um, so we tied that to Egypt as well um, in this whole idea of Anubis and discovering that he's a, a wolf man. That, you know, Larry Talbot, who does part of the narration out front here with our pre-show video, um, talks about traveling the world, trying to find it, something that could end this curse that's afflicted him ever since he was bitten by a werewolf. And that's the curse of lycanthropy, or the, you know, turns into the wolf every time the moon is full. Dracula is similarly cursed. Um, he lives forever. He has to feed on blood. That's one, you know, downside. But the other is he can't go out in the daytime. So think of how productive Dracula would be if he could feed 24/7. So he's trying to find, you know, something to lift the curse that allows him, gives him the power to be out in the daytime. And then the mummy was cursed from the get-go. You know, you, you know, when he's caught with the princess and you know mummified alive and buried um and all of the you know this the sarcophagus is stripped away of all of the you know the the, the incantations that are going to help him in the afterlife but one thing that they did bury mummies with was amulets burial amulets so we created our own burial amulet called the amulet of Ra or the amulet of amun Ra. he's kind of known by two different names depending on what period of history you're talking about um and then we gave that to our special effects designer so it's a fire opal against uh, uh, scarab wings with uh, a snake that's now becoming uncoiled coming off of it and it's a special effect and a costume piece so the mummy wears it but it also has LED technology to make it pulse like his heartbeat um, so Dracula the wolfman are all trying to get a hold of this amulet because they think this holds the secret to lift the curse that's inflicting them and, um, and they're all trying to take over you know Dracula wants to have an army of vampires the, the mummy, and his, particularly his minders, which are the high priests of Karnak, want to bring about a restoration of the old kingdom. And the wolfman just wants to end the curse, you know. Um, so all of that is set up with a pre-show video that's going to play before you go in the house. It's kind of different for us. I wrote a script, and I think I did every one of those voices. I think I did all the characters' voices um, by necessity. <laughs> like, did you record anybody? No. All right, set up a mic. <laughs> uh, let's go. Uh, and then um, we set it up, and then you come here at night, um, all of the dock workers are dead, which is very much a, a nod to Dracula. And a lot of them have puncture marks in their throat, which tells you Dracula's been here. Covering them up for sun, the sun beats them up. Um, so there's several dead dock workers. And this guy is not in my treatment anywhere. Um, <laughs> we have a new special effects artist. I mentioned we're really trying to step up our special effects. And he just was like, hey, I think I can make a, an animated seagull over the weekend. And I'm like, you want to make an animated seagull? Go for it. So this thing actually moves. Yeah. I should have had him talk. He could have told the whole you know, pre-show. He wouldn't even have to do the video. But, but yeah, he's, he, this is a theme, too, because he went cuckoo with this. You know, like in Scarecrow, there's a rat with an eyeball. I'm oh, sorry, a crow with an eyeball that moves, and there's... Now he wants to put a rat in, in Universal Horror Hotel in this one scene. You're like, free, free, I give you carte blanche. Make as many animated things as you want to make. It's just cool. It's just different you know, stuff. 
So um, then we go on inside. And so this is divided between kind of three major settings. It's the shipping warehouse. Um, it's the graveyard, because in the mummy movies, uh, particularly the sequels, they always have a graveyard. Um, and they're always set in America, which is really weird. Like once you get past the 32 film, they're always like, oh, the mummy's in America. And that's, again, it's just budget. You know, it's like, well, we don't want to go shoot any, you know, location stuff. <laughs> we'll just change it so he's in America. So, come on in. So oh my God, all, the, terrifying. all the graphics and everything you just passed, those are all, <laughs> those are all meticulously researched actual maps of this area of London that you pass by. Uh, this is... Um, if you were dropping off your cargo, you would come up here to see this guy with your, you know, um, showing him what you have in your boat and everything. And this is where you check in in the warehouse. One thing that's um, kind of cool, another little Easter egg for people, um, in this particular house, you're going to see a whole lot of Egyptian statues. I just stepped on the dead guy. I can't even see Some of which, you've seen some of these in our haunted houses before, but in the next scene, you're going to see a whole lot you've never seen before. And it's because of the size of them and the scale of them. Um, yeah. Uh, I did the mummy ride years ago working with Steve Summers. Um, when he wrapped uh, The Mummy and The Mummy Returns, um, they offered us a whole bunch of stuff they were frankly just going to throw away, which was all of this. Wow. And um, so we kept it, and we've had it in this warehouse of ours, this big production facility we have off property, which is kind of like a giant prop and costume warehouse. Um, but we also have our video studios, green screen stage. We have all this whole production facility offsite. Um, but we've had these for years. And I was walking through the warehouse around this time last year, and I looked up and I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about those mummy statues. Wow. Jeez, we have a lot of them. And I'm like, I'm going to write a whole thing just for this. Because nobody's gotten to see them in Horror Nights, and they're really cool. Awesome. So uh, when you come in here, you hear Renfield's laughter from you know, Dracula. And you also hear Renfield say, uh, Master, we're here. You know, that weird, creepy Dwight Fry voice. Um, and then Renfield's actually back behind the counter because he's taking out all these dudes and playing uh, windows. So he slams against this and then takes you into the holding room. <laughs> yeah. Just, just the yeah. So now we get into the big step. So we had to bring all, a lot of this stuff in before we built the walls. Oh my god, the cat! <laughs> <laughs> so these are from the mummy movies? Yes. Oh, they're all screen God. used. Everything you see in this room is from those movies. All the all the props. Except for the crates, of course. Um, here's another little Easter egg from the wall. You guys remember Pulp Fiction and the briefcase? Mm -hmm. I always thought that was cool. So I decided to universal monsterize that. So that big crate, which is gonna be you know open when you come through here, actually just just arrived today. Um, it's going to be open and it's glowing like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, but it's pulsing with the beat of the mummy's heart because his heart's in that case. So it's dum 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 dum. It's up there next to uh, the statue of Anubis. And then um, we have the mummy sarcophagus and we have Dracula's coffin. Excuse me, real quick. So mummy comes from here, Dracula comes from here, and it's game on. Enormous statue of Horus. Um, so this is where they're uncrating all the stuff that arrived in the boats. You get a double scare, mummy from that side, Dracula from this side, and then that pushes you further into the warehouse, into what's called the story. When you start to come this way, you start hearing these chanting Egyptian voices, and they're going, Anubis, 
and they're saying um, they're saying that the name of the mummy as well, and it's a little foreshadowing for something you're going to experience later. Um, and then the mummy attacks you and drives you into a secret passageway that connects us to the museum, which is the last series of scenes. And in that, you know, it's an opportunity to take you into total darkness. You're in some secret passageway. You hear the werewolf stalking you, and you feel stuff touching your face, which is, of course, our classic black thread hanging in the path. And then we come into the first of two big display rooms. So the high priest that you met earlier in the storage rack scene who tried to kill you with the knife, um, he's here now. And he's got the mummy's heart. That's the object that's been in this glowing chest um, that you keep seeing in the house. Um, and it's beating. So it's funny. My brother-in-law is a cardiologist, <laughs> just thankfully, and, and has a 3D printer. And like actually for his work, does 3D models of human hearts as part of his job. So I like sent him an email and I'm like, could you hit me with a 3D model, of an accurate 3D model of the human heart? Because we really need one. We're going to 3D print it. So he sent me all the files and I gave them to our effects team. And we, we printed our own hearts with 3D printing. Uh, but then we gave it to our special effects team and they created uh, LED effects so that it's still beating. Um, so it's beating in sync. It's wireless and it's synced to the audio. So it's going dunk, 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 and he's standing here. This is all special effects. These all look lit up like a, you know, like a smoldering brazier. There's smoke coming out of here, and he's doing his incantation to bring all these mummies to life, because that's his object. He wants to, you know, bring about the restoration of the old kingdom. He's going to do it by bringing every mummy in this museum to life. So all of a sudden, these guys, their eyes start glowing, and they come at you because it's a pushcart effect. And then our mummy character's back here, and he comes to life. But this dude made a tragic error. Um, you shouldn't mess with this stuff. You shouldn't mess with curses. You shouldn't mess with stuff. If you know, if anybody learned anything from the King Tut expedition, it's like you don't open tombs that are, you know, you're not that say right on them that under the penalty of death. You know, there's a curse. So um, by him messing with all this stuff, he's triggered something to come back, um, a deity, which I'll explain in a second. And this is our prop team. Everything on this car is freshly glued. Please let it set up, which means try. Thank you. Props. <laughs> that's prop saving. Anybody touch it? Really Because that's the last stage of what they do, is locking everything down so you can't grab the take So, this is the second and last display room. Um, now we find the High Priest of Karnak. This is what the character is going to look like. Uh, dead on the floor, and in his hand is the amulet of Ra, and it's dying. The light is dying, and the power is going out of it. And this is my Apocalypse Now moment, because I always loved Brando at the end of Apocalypse Now, that end scene where he's just like, the horror. So here I uh, have him going, the curse, the curse. He realizes now, like, uh, you know, don't mess with this stuff. Um, Dracula attacks from there. The mummy attacks from there. This is going to be a huge graphic like the Anubis one over here um, about the mummification process like you find in a museum. It's going to be printed on spandex material um, with a hidden slit so that the wolfman can bust right through the middle of the poster. So it's boom, boom, boom. And then there's one final thing. Um, I mentioned that you shouldn't mess with the stuff, that it could trigger bringing back a deity. So we bring back Anubis at the end of the maze, but we bring back Anubis as a universal monster. 
So we werewolfized Anubis, and he's a stilt walker. And his, if I was the performer, like I'm actually wearing the head up here and looking through the chest. So it's, you know, super tall, especially with his big pointy ears. Um, but it's Anubis done as a full-on werewolf that comes to life and tries to kill you. So as you're going out, you're hearing all that Egyptian Anubis chanting that's been kind of a reoccurring theme throughout this thing. And then this big beast attacks you and, uh, and you die and it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the Orlando version will kind of lead into this one. Yeah, the Orlando version's like focused on the expedition where they like they go in in the story that we kind of mutually the big long form version of the story. Larry Talbot has been searching the world, trying to find a curse. He's been going all you know. He's also rich. He's the benefit of being you know. Daddy has a lot of money, so he gets to travel the world trying to find you know is it is it Eastern medicine is it you know what is it that can finally take this affliction off him. Um, and he he becomes um, he gets invited by a benefactor to go on these expedition, who happens to be funding the whole thing, whose name might be on the facade of this. You know what I mean? There's a little they bring that in, which <laughs> right, is right. which is cool. It's a neat twist, and that was their idea. And I was like, hey, that's cool. Why don't you guys? That's cool. You guys focus on that. So theirs is all about Egypt, um, and then ours picks it up from there. And that's the first time we've ever done that. It was yeah. it was a good it was a great way to creative compromise because. We were really passionate about what we wanted to do. They were really passionate. I'm like, you know, I think this can all coexist if we just come up with a story arc that can envelop it all. And um, and that's what we did. And it was it was a really awesome collaboration. It was a lot of a lot of fun, and everybody brought good ideas to the table. Because yeah. we've all been doing this for a long time <laughs> yeah. on two different coasts. You know? <laughs> sure. We have time for questions? one last question. I'll take it. Sure. <laughs> Uh, you talked about setting up the story in this maze. Can you talk about some of the challenges in doing it in some of the um, other non-IP-based mazes this year? Yeah, uh, luckily, like Universal Horror Hotel, which is a total original story that I wrote, um, it needs a it needs explanation uh, because it starts in the twenties. It's about it's about a guy named Maximilian Deville or Maxie Deville, um, who is what in the twenties you would have called a drugstore cowboy, which with that. There's a, a tw I love 20 slang, and I, I used it a lot to write the script for this pre-show because uh, they had really unusual, you know, cats meow and all that. You know, they just had great slang words in the 20s. But what a drugstore cowboy was was it was a guy who dressed up really nice and all hair perfectly combed, nice clothes, who hung out at drugstores. Like, you know, um, Swabs wasn't there in the 20s, but it came you know, shortly, maybe the 40s. But uh, it picked up girls. That was like, that's what they called them. They called them drugstore cowboys. Oh, they would like hang out at drugstores and try to pick up women. And so this is what this guy does. He comes to L.A. He's got this mysterious, shady past. He's, he's moved around a lot. Don't know why. Um, but he meets this girl named Lillian Van Horn, whose mother is the heir to the, this massive oil fortune, kind of tiling into Los Angeles history. Um, and... Uh, he sweeps her off her feet, they fall in love, and they're going to get married, and the mother-in-law is just pissed. You know, she's just like, you know, not too sure about this guy. And he uses the money to build this massive multi-million dollar hotel right underneath the Hollywood Land sign, because that's what it would have been there in the day. Um, and it becomes like the place where all this, the movie stars, and Hollywood's just, you know, Universal just started in 1915. It's the early days of the film industry. It becomes the place where all the movie stars hang out and all the would-be starlets but he's really doing this because he's a serial killer 
and he's, you know, it's kind of a little H.H. H. Holmes, Devil mm-hmm. in the White City, a little Hotel Cecil, if you know that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's killing all these people, but he's making it look like it's either a suicide or a tragic accident. So the first thing that happens is these, this sister pair, a cook and a maid, the maid is uh, found swinging by her neck in the elevator, the cook's found with her head in the oven in the, in the newly, you know, brand new gas ovens, because those would have just come out in that mm-hmm. period. And... Um, Eventually, the authorities start connecting the dots, and they figure out this guy's behind it all. He gets arrested. They start realizing that all these people have died, or you know, were, were murdered by him. There's a trial that goes on a decade, and then he's convicted and sentenced to San Quentin to the newly minted gas chamber. Which I actually did. I did all the research on this to know exactly what year the gas chamber went into effect and when it was used, oh, and wow. designed the whole story around that. So right as they're closing the door and the gas is released. He starts laughing like a crazy person and just says, I'll be back. And so then, all this is before you go into yeah. the days? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so all and I do it the way I tell it. It's a lot of story to yeah, tell. Yeah. yeah. And the way I do it is I built a 1920s Universal newsreel because Universal made newsreels. Mm-hmm. And I had our artist, Lucas Colshaw, who did all the beautiful artwork for The Bride last year. I said, hey, I want you to illustrate a bunch of newspaper you know, images and I'm going to write all the copy, and we're going to make a series of fake newspapers from Hollywood in the 1920s. And so I wrote the whole story as stories in newspapers. Lucas did the illustrations, and then we do the we tell the whole story like a 20s newsreel with a you know Hollywood 1923 you know like a reporter with that type of voice. And um, it's just telling this horrible story about this hotel of horrors called the Hotel Universal and all the things that went there. And then when you get in, that's the outside. When you go inside the building, now it's present day. The thing's been bought and sold a million times. It's gone into decline, kind of like the Cecil again, you know. Yeah. It used to be this beautiful place, and now it's horrible. Um, but the current owners are tapping into that horror tourism thing. And they're like, oh, we should be leveraging this amazing history and all these you know, terrible things that happened here. But that triggers him coming back. Oh, okay, and so cool. he comes back along with all of the, the people he killed, all his family members, his mother-in-law and his wife and the maids and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he's also involved in a, you know, just to add another layer, it's, like I said, it's kind of a lot of story. Uh, he's, he's part of this secret society. And I did all this research on weird secret societies that existed in Hollywood back oh, in those wow. days. Um, it's a little poking, little poking fun at some current day, you know, theories. Um, but they're pagan worshippers of you know this pagan deity, and they do sacrifices in the basement of this hotel. So he's buried all these bodies in this basement oh, that wow. you know, no one's ever found. And so it's a lot of different flavors. But it's it's present day, and they're marketing this place. They've rebranded it the Universal Horror Hotel. And there's a video. It's a real cheesy, schlocky video we created, <laughs> and I do the you know the cheesy narrator voice for that, you know. Um, and there, and so you're entering this hotel in present day, and the people that are staying there now are being killed by all these, all these ghosts from the past. They're ghosts, but they can affect the physical world. Oh God! So their present day guests are the victims. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of the setup, but it still has a. It still has a bit of that 20s, like the, the furniture and the decor and everything. It looks it's awesome. It looks amazing. But we use all of that to tell the story with two different videos. So it's a little, yeah, do a little bit more setup for those things. Sometimes you don't have to explain much, and sometimes you do. So um, seeing if we can, trying to extend our ability to tell a story and see if we can do that live. It's challenging. It's tough to do in a chaotic environment like Horror Nights. Sure. So 
That's the that's the goal at least. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Has there been discussions of doing some kind of supplementary content? Possibly in the future. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. I connect. If people actually take the time to read these newspapers, they're going to find. I just because I had to do it, I had to write all the copy. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm going to have some fun with this. I'm going to plant all sorts of <laughs> Easter eggs and this stuff. So there's stuff that ties back to Hollywood Harry. And oh, it's, nice. it's all interconnected. Oh, cool. I, I, I went like, what do they call Metaverse or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I hate. I hate all that stuff. I don't like it. Uh, I'm not big on that. But I was like, okay. This, if nothing else, I'll freak the fans out by connecting this to Harry. And I'll toss you something. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it, nobody will ever do that. Nobody will ever actually sit there and read this and all this stuff. But it's, uh, it's implied in the, in the copy if you actually were to read it. But, it ties in all uh, Universal's history. Carl Lemley, oh, uh, he this guy worked at the Universal lot. He worked at the zoo when he when he first came to Hollywood and got fired, you know, by Lemley. <laughs> it ties in a whole bunch of stuff with early Universal history as well. It's kind of funny. Cool. Well, there's a lot to dig into if people want to. Oh yeah, there's a lot to dig into. <laughs> yeah, you could do a coffee table book on this one. <laughs> one day. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thanks for visiting today. <laughs> See when we have the show. <laughs> this podcast has been a production of the Creepy Kingdom Podcast Network. Executive produced by James H. Carter II and Ryan Grulick. Visit creepykingdom.com to get access to all of our articles, videos, and podcasts. Join our Patreon for exclusive content. Patreon.com slash creepykingdom. Until next time, this is Hannah reminding you to keep it creepy. <laughs>